0: Hey, make sure that you thank um, Eldie and Joe and Sandy as well because they put in a lot of effort to make this morning tea happen. So Yeah, we can thank them. I don't even know if Eldie and Joe can hear us. But make sure they're already out there. They're already getting stuff ready because a southern barbecue uh, takes a while to to put together, I'm guessing. I have no idea. Um, But it is going to be amazing. Well, happy Father's Day to every dad in the room, and um, before we go any further, um, we do want to acknowledge um, that this morning might not be the easiest for everyone. I just want to take the, the moment to, to, to just touch on that, to acknowledge that, that yes, it is a day that we celebrate dads, it's a day that we honor dads, uh, but we also know that there are people in the room that might not have had... Um, I guess in a way much to celebrate about their dad for whatever reason. And um, we understand that there are moments when um, like this on on Father's Day that it does bring up certain memories and and perhaps wounds and and certain pain. And we just want to take a moment to say, that's cool, that happens. that happened, and um, we understand that there is still possibly the element of pain, and and we just want to applaud you for being here this morning, because you knew that this was going to happen, but yet you still rocked up, and you know, that's... Your bravery is an inspiration, um, pushing through um, and finding healing. But we also do want to also say that just because that was your past doesn't mean that that's your future. It doesn't mean that because you lost something significant in your past, it means that you will always uh, be holding back or be held back from the future. God is able to restore. God is able to give back more than you ever lost, and He is a God of restoration. And uh, we also love that God places. Um, people who are fatherless in family. And we hope that this is your family. For many people it is. For some of you, you might still be exploring that. And we hope that you can find family because this is the process through which God brings restoration uh, to to people. And so this is a place that you can be known. This is a place that you can heal. Uh, This is a place that you can belong. And this is a place that you can also be empowered for the future. Um, and, And so we do hope that this is a place you. Uh, let, can we just pray? Let's just take this moment and just pray. God, we thank you that you are our heavenly Father. And despite all that has taken place in our lives, um, we know that you are still sovereign, and we thank you that you are still on the throne, that you are still someone that we can look to, you are someone that we can continue to worship, and you're someone that we can still expect love, acceptance, grace, and truth from. And so we pray that we access that this morning. We thank you that your presence is already here. We thank you that you're already ministering your precious love to each and every single person in this room. You know, can we just take this moment? I I just believe that there's, there's someone or maybe a couple of people here that when the past gets brought up, you are still seeing yourself in a place as a victim. But God is saying, you're not a victim of your past. That might have happened to you, but that doesn't mean that bad things will always happen to you. I feel God saying that you're a survivor of the past and that you are going to be a child of God that impacts your future. You're not happening, uh, the future is not happening to you as much as you are happening to your future. Right now, you are making decisions that will impact your future. But more than that, I believe that God is telling you that because of what you have survived, you will teach others to survive. Because of what you have gone through, you will help others to break free of the shackles of the past and step into their future. And so I want to speak that over you. And God, I just pray for whoever that message is for. I just pray that your empowerment and your grace is upon them. That even if they're listening to these words over a podcast and it speaks to their soul, I pray that God that you are stirring something up. There is a hope for the future, that there is a a disappointment is falling off their lives, and there is a... an opening of their eyes to see your great work in their life, because your word says that you are always working for the good of those who love you and are called by your name. And so we speak that out in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I also want to take this moment to say Happy Father's Day to my dad, who is a pillar in our family, uh, and not just for Our biological family, but I believe for this church family as well, uh, he's an example of faithfulness, humility, consistency, and their values that shaped my life and helped me be here uh, today. Well, this morning, I want to start off with a verse from Proverbs 22, verse 6. A nice, simple one to kick today off. And it says this, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start children off on the way they should go. And, and 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 as I was preparing for this morning, the word that I focused on and the word that spoke out to me was the word start. Start. Start children off on the way. Start. And for those who don't know, Beck already stole my thunder this morning. As she often does. She is the thunder to my lightning. I have no idea what that means. Whatever it means. She's the tornado to my twister. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Beck and I are on our adoption journey, and in about a month's time, we will hear from um, the adoption board whether we have been approved or not, whether they think that we are absolutely crazy and um, incapable of looking after anyone, which makes us really great pastors if that happens. Um, but As part of this process, you you know when you speak to parents and they say, I wish there was a manual for parenting? Yeah, Yeah, many parents would agree that. Well, we've had to read every manual that is available to us. Honestly, because of this adoption process, over the last couple of months in particular, we've been going through an assessment. Um, we've spoken about this to a few people, but for those who don't know, we had a social worker come to our house weekly for seven weeks with three-hour-long sessions. Each one of them went for four hours. Um, she was particularly picking apart my life for that session. Beck's session took about two and a half hours. Mine took four. Um, and um, let's not go on to that, but... Um, but during this um, seven weeks, we needed to answer all sorts of questions. We needed to uh, answer about our past, our upbringing, our financial stability, our emotional stability, etc, etc. But the last three weeks was particularly about parenting skills, which uh, was quite daunting. Because we are not biological parents. I have nephews, and I love looking after them for maybe 24 to 30 hours. Anything more than that, I'm like, Dora, please take your children back. They are your responsibility. They were my toys for the last day, but now they're yours. And um, we had to read books because we were going to be quizzed on... Nearly every aspect of parenting, it feels like. Uh, and so we had to know about their developmental stages from zero all the way to 18. And we were asked to, to, to say what we were going to expect when our child was three, when our child was five, when our child is seven and nine and 12 and 15 and 18. And we needed to know how to uh, uh, help them calm down when they're throwing a tantrum in the middle of a shopping centre. How many parents needed to answer that question before you were given your biological child? Well, we know the answers according to head knowledge, which which basically says let them cry their guts out and then um, after that move on. And if for everyone else who is shocked that your child cries, tell them they have a kid of their own. It's basically how life works. And um, we were told about, uh, we were asked questions about, about their psychological capacity at the age of three, their moral reasoning at the age of seven, their emotional regulation at the age of 12, their hormonal levels at the age of 14. We needed to know all of these things. And why am I telling you this is because I'm not a biological dad, but yet I'm giving a Father's Day message. So I'm just trying to get some credits in the bank to let you know that I actually know what I'm talking about. No, that was a side joke. I know that things will look very different when I am sleep-deprived and um, when my child was the one that is crying. But there was something about some of the questions that were asked to us. In one particular one that I remember, our assessor sat down and said, okay, so you have um, a 17-year-old son. And at that moment, I was like, stop there. I have a what? <laughs> because that is pretty much beyond my comprehension right now. I don't, what does a 17-year-old son look like in my house? I'm like, how old does that make me that makes me a little bit scared as well but is it you have a 17 year old son and he has always been a good child and and he asked to have a few friends over while you uh, are going away for or you've got a meeting for a few hours and so he was like yeah can i have a few mates over and you set the ground rules you said, you know, no alcohol, no drugs, because that's what you tell your 17-year-old son. Uh, this is what the Cecil was saying. And, and so it's like, yep, no worries. So we went for our meeting or dinner or whatever it was. We come back, and our son's friends are smoking weed in our house and getting drunk. And, and she was like, so what would you do? And it's like, it's a little bit crazy, because my response was a bit like, your 17-year-old son. Well... 15 years before that point in time this is what i would have done and 14 years before that happens this is what I. to talk about a 17 year old son in isolation in that moment is ridiculous isn't it it's like so so he's kind of like have we talked about discipline before to our son have we talked about drugs to our son before like like this scenario it doesn't make any sense because it's in a vacuum because you didn't just turn out to be 17 one day you didn't grow you, you, you like when we adopt our child we will probably be getting an under three-year-old for everyone who's wanting to know we are getting an under three-year-old how old are they i don't know i don't even know if they're born yet but you know god knows but it is not like we pick up our Uh, We have this three-year-old placed with us. The next morning, they're 17, inviting their friends over for pot. (laughs) It's like, what? The flip happened. What what happened? Who are you? No, no, no. This will be a son, if we have a son, in this scenario we do, who we invite into our life at age three. And at age three, we show him what a family looks like. We show him love. We show him acceptance. We show him how to speak English because there's chances that he won't be speaking English in that point in time. And, and we show him how to make friends. And we show him how to make good friends. And we show him that there's a plan and a purpose in his life. We have the birds and the bees talk with him. We talk about, him, uh, about his future to him. We, we, we start him on his journey. So this process was a little bit out there, and we understand, and the assessor understands. I was asking stupid things like, you know, he's like, so have we had the drug chat before? I was like, yeah, assume that you haven't. I was like, why wouldn't I have? <laughs> it was like, seriously, why wouldn't I have? Probably would have done it when he was like seven. Because <laughs> that's the world that we live in. But it did show me, no matter what, as a parent, when you raise your child there is this sense that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow that you don't get to control their every moment i know you're making a stupid decision this is what you're going to do because i'm dad you will do that How, how many parents have tried that how often does it work when they are four and incapable of fighting you maybe when they are 14 and they are probably already taller than you how do you think they react to that? But the Bible tells us to start your child. Start, not finish their life for them. Not control their every moment. Not manipulate them onto the path. Not force them to make the choices that you want them to. All we get to do as parents is start. And there was this, um, there the couple that. Let's try it again. On YouTube, there are these two Korean adoptees who are now uh, grown up. They're adults. They've got their own family, and they, they've got this channel called um, I'm Adopted, Don't Make It Weird, which is really fun. And um, they, they talk a lot about adoption, about their journey, their, their healing process, their ex- exploration process, and, and, and helping other people, which is really cool. And one of the things that they said a number of times is that, parents, you don't raise children you raise well-adjusted adults you don't raise children and I reckon that in today's world there is the pressure to raise children instead of well-adjusted adults there's this pressure to allow your child to be able to choose whatever they want when they want no matter how old they are and how underdeveloped they are there's this pressure to keep them safe There's this pressure to keep them happy, contented, and achieving whatever you think achievement is. But what we need to realise is that your child will always be attached to you as a child, but they will not always be literally a child under the age of 12. At some point, they are going to want their independence. At some point, they are going to see, and they should want their independence, by the way, Every parent that wants to keep your child in your house for the duration of their whole life, you are selfish. You're meant to be raising a well-adjusted adult that knows how to make their own choices. At some point, all we get to do is to start them on the journey and then go, off you go. Let's see what you can make of your own life. And that is something that is a little bit crazy when you think about that. Like, we don't even have our child placed with us yet. But to think that one day that child will be independent is a little bit scary. But then the Bible tells us, start your child on the way they should go. And so this morning, I want to share with you one absolutely essential, crucial thing that we need to start with our children. You ready for this? Turn Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. When you've got it, say "got it." You guys are cheaters. I'm purposely making the font really small, so you can say "got it," but can you read it? That's a different thing. But basically, um, just before we start uh, on today's passage, to give you a bit of a background, there's this young boy whose name's Samuel, and Samuel. Um, later on we find he becomes one of the greatest leaders in all of israel's history he's an amazing man of god who hears clearly from god and he is placed in the temple under the care of the high priest eli and uh, in this temple he's being groomed he's being shaped to take over as basically the high priest as basically the leader of the land right and so this is where we get to a place um, and if you've got a heading in your Bible, which says the Lord called Samuel. Let me read the first 10 verses to you. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak... That he could barely see was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying there in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Let me just make a quick point about this. This is Samuel's usual spot. And it says that the lamp of God had not yet gone out and it is also where the ark of God was. Why were those, those why, why are we given those details? It's because the lamp of God represents his presence and the ark of God represents his covenant, his promise to always be with the Israelites. Where does Samuel sleep? He sleeps in the presence of God with the commitment of God to always be there. This is the place where Samuel is. This is his usual spot. And this is where God calls Samuel. Samuel answered, said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Can you imagine what Eli was feeling? is an old man, his eyes are failing he can barely see, and he's like, I just want to sleep. And here comes his little tacker. He hears the pitter-patter of the feet coming to his room. Here I am, here I am. And, and, and he's like, you called? And it's like, no, you had some bad pepperoni in your pizza last night. I did not call. Eli's getting frustrated. This happens twice. like, go back and sleep. What the heck are you doing? Anyway, that was just a little aside. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. We're going to come back to that in a moment. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as he Had the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Here's a really crazy thing about this passage that I uh, heard a, a few weeks ago that really got me stuck in this passage. Because I think when preachers preach this passage and it comes to the part where God speaks to Samuel, most of the speakers. Because they want to create a moment um, where everyone is listening to them. They will go, Samuel, Samuel. And then what does Samuel do? He runs to Eli. And we're like, stupid Samuel. <laughs> did, not, did you hear that? The voice of the Lord sounds like this. And Eli's voice is probably like, I'm an old man. <laughs> they don't sound the same, Samuel. If he was calling you, he'd be like, Samuel, Samuel, get me my water. He wouldn't be like, Samuel. Anyone, any speaker speak this passage and go, God's voice, Eli's voice, not the same boy. Get your ears checked. And I probably just glossed over that, but. Maybe God's voice doesn't sound like that. And maybe it sounded a lot like Eli's. And in verse 7, it says this, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed. This is the boy who sleeps in God's presence who lives in God's presence, who was set apart before he was born to lead the whole nation of Israel. He had been in this temple for a couple of years, and yet the word of the Lord wasn't yet revealed to him. And so when God called him, what did Samuel do? He ran to the voice it sounded like, whose voice... Did God's voice sound like to Samuel? His father figure. What we need to realize is that for all of us, the voice of our father is the lens, is the filter through which we understand the voice of the father. That when God has not yet been fully revealed to us, we meet with god through our father's voice and psychology has now corroborated this and it says that our relationship and beck was talking about this our relationship with our earthly parents influences every aspect of your life the people you choose to hang around the occupation that you choose to walk into the romantic relationships that you form, your work ethic. Every decision that you make is often through the filter of the relationship we have with your earthly parents. Your earthly parents' voice is the voice through which you understand your life. And when it is done well, what happens is that we get to see what God is doing through the voice of our parents when it is done well, we understand how God accepts us. We understand how God loves us, how God graces us. We understand how God disciplines us. We understand how God is propelling us into the future. But for some people, because your dad never showed you acceptance, you struggle to understand God's acceptance. Because Your parents never gave you affirmation. You find it difficult to accept God's affirmation over your life. Because you were never given the warmth and the presence of your parents, you struggle to see how God is warm and present with you. The voice of our Father teaches us how to understand the voice of the Father. This is an important thing that we need to understand. When we want to start our children on the way that they should go, the most important thing that we can do is to show them how to hear God's voice. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. And so, what does Eli do when he realizes that Samuel doesn't know that is God? That he's not just having a bad dream. He points him to this way. Now this is an encouragement for all of us because Eli is a terrible person. He is a terrible father. He is an absolute shocker of a high priest. One of the reasons why the word of the Lord was absent, as we read about in the early part of this chapter, is because the priesthood was corrupt. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, go read this for yourself, we read about how Eli's sons were doing terrible things. They were keeping offerings that people brought to God for themselves, and they were sleeping with women in the courtyard of the temple. They desecrated God's place. And this is what it says about uh, a a prophet comes and actually prophesies against uh, um, Eli, and this is what it says. Sorry, let me just find it. 1 Samuel 2, verse 29. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwellings? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? I want you to note something that it was Eli's sons that were doing this, but yet the responsibility was given to Eli. Why? Because Eli never showed them the way that they were supposed to go. He never started to show them that when you are in the temple, this is what you're supposed to do. It, tell, it tells us in 1 Samuel 2 that Eli confronts his sons about this once. And it goes too hard. He never gave them the start that they were supposed to have, and the priesthood was wrenched from their hands and given to Samuel. But even though Eli was an absolutely shocking man, he still played a pivotal role in Samuel's life. How crazy is that? That God can take whatever place that you come from and He can still redeem it. He can still bring something good out of it. It shows me that it does not take a PhD in reading the Bible A PhD in understanding God's ways and God's words for us to be able to help our children find Him. Samuel was one of the most righteous, upstanding men of the whole Bible. So many heroes of the Bible had great starts and terrible finishes. But when you look at Samuel's life, he started right and he ended right, even though he had a terrible father figure. What does that say about your life? It says that God can take whatever you were given and He can show you the path that you need to be on. And for dads out there, yes, our job is to show our kids how to hear God's Word for their life. When they're saying, "When they're saying, I feel like God's saying this to me, are you taking that moment and shaping it and, and helping them to see what God is truly saying? Are you setting them up to be one day by themselves making decisions about God God's voice for their life. Are you actively showing them how God is speaking to them? Are you showing them the Word for their life, so that they can base their life on the truth and unshakable truth, the foundations of this world? Or are you just simply trying to pander to them? Eli pandered to his sons, but he showed Samuel God's voice two divergent paths. Eli's sons were killed. Samuel rose up. There's not a single parent here that wishes to see what happened to Eli's sons the way it happened. All of us want our children to be like Samuel, walking in righteousness. And the most important ingredient is this. Teach them to hear God's voice. It didn't. Samuel lived in God's presence, yet he still needed Eli to reveal God's word to him. How precious is that? That God would entrust us mere human beings with the next generation. How they are going to listen, how they are going to understand. I do want to switch gears a little bit. For dads, I want to pray this morning at the end of this experience for you, believing that you are going to know God's voice yourself, that you're going to know how to help the future generations hear God's voice as well. But I do believe that God has got something special this morning. Because as much as we do focus on our earthly father, this is also about our heavenly father. And there are many of us that are relating to God through the lenses of our earthly fathers. Mistakes, absence, and we are still relating to God in that way. You know, as we were singing those songs this morning, beautifully led by the band, I really sense God's love in this place. I really sense that he wanted to move mightily in this place, but... I would not be surprised that there are some people looking at those words and going, that song again? I wouldn't be surprised that there are some people here and go, how long is this going to take? I wouldn't be surprised that there are some people here that go, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what my dad did to me. Or you don't know what I've had to go through without my dad. And if that's you this morning, it's all right that you feel that way. But it's not all right if you keep holding on to that path. If that's the start that you want for the rest of your life, draw the line. Where is this going to go? If you're always rejecting of God's grace and love and acceptance and truth, Where does that ultimately lead you? I stand here today as the father of this house, and I'm praying that I'm giving you a fresh start through these words that God has put on my heart, that your start doesn't have to be what happened in the past. Your start can be today. God put on my heart this verse that His mercies are new every morning. What does it mean? It means that even though you are still feeling the wounds of your past today, it's still a new day. Even though you still feel the pressures and the guilt and the shame of your past, there is still today where God is still working, that His mercy is fresh, that is still at work, that is still doing something, that even though you were rejected in the past, you are chosen today. Even though you were left behind and abandoned in the past, you are chosen and placed in family today that we have mercies that are new every morning because there is a new start that we can access today by the very grace of God. And when we start on this path, a path that is unchanging, a path that God has set for us, a path that God has prepared for us, and we walk in it, it leads us into wide open spaces as the Bible teaches us. So you choose whether you want to walk in a path that captures you and holds you back, where it it limits you, or you walk into a new place and say, I want that start. It takes bravery. It takes courage to choose this new path because the old wounds have caused us to be defensive and it taught us the old way of living. And to say, no, I'm going to let go of those defenses. Because to say yes to God, it means surrender. That's the simple truth. To say yes to God, it takes full surrender. There's no two ways about this. You don't get to pick and choose aspects of God's truth. You either take it all or you take nothing. I'm not saying you surrender everything now. I'm saying it's a process. But are you willing to let those defenses down? That's a simple truth. That's the start that I believe God wants to give every single person. So if I, I can just get everyone just to close your eyes for a moment. I believe that there are some people here, and it might not be that you are not um, right with God, as we would sometimes say. Maybe it's more that, you know, there is areas of holding back in your life where whatever has happened has happened and, and, and you're, not, you're not ready. And if that is you, I want to lead you in a prayer of reopening and surrendering to God once again. And as you say those words, I pray that you truly let your God down and you let His love in. So repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I want you in my life. I open my heart to you. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And I want to live in that. Be my Lord and my Saviour, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.